0: The reading use that? Don't go ahead. the reading this morning is from uh, luke chapter 7 verses 36 to 50. now one of the pharisees invited jesus to have dinner with him so he went to the pharisee's house and reclined at the table when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that jesus was eating at the pharisee's house she brought an alabaster jar of perfume And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissing them, and poured perfume over them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this even, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace.
1: Amen. Please be seated. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you. Uh, Ken just whispered saying, I'm so glad you're here, but really, I'm the one who's glad I'm here, as I've said before. Um, and I was greeted by a, uh, one of the lovely sisters here saying, um, oh, you're not our guest speaker, aren't you part of us here? I go, I am, I am, I am. I want to claim a, a place in this family. Thank you for uh, making me always feel at home. And and thank you again for the, the richness of worship. I, I, I've said it every time I've had the opportunity to be sharing from the Word here, but the, it's easy to open up the Word of God here because the worship is rich, the participation is full, and and, and as we've been focusing on on Jesus, the fairest Lord Jesus, who is everything, who uh, is worthy of all of our praise? Um, and saying to Him, our heart's expression of thanks and love back. We have been we have been getting in a crescendo in this worship time today, which will reach its pinnacle as we gather around the table in just a few moments this morning. We will be uh, sharing together all about the fullness of who Jesus is and, and the most important dynamic of the church as it's expressed in this, at this table. A time which, uh, which moves us many times, as, as well it should, as Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 11, as you come to the table, make sure you examine yourself. So you don't eat and drink in an unworthy fashion, and there's a lot to be said to unpack that. But one of the most important things that we need to examine is the fundamental of what it takes to belong to Jesus. This table is set for anyone who is a follower of Jesus that really the the membership of church and denomination isn't the pivotal factor. The real important thing is whether we are following him and we can have followed him and not be following him in in the dynamics of our day-to-day. We still belong to him, but following Jesus is what we need to examine and being obedient to him and staying free in Him, And that's what we examine when we come together. So it's almost as we rise in crescendo to these moments in a few moments together, it's almost that we are asking the Lord now already, Lord, would you be speaking to me about the things that I need to examine my own heart so that I know when I come, I'm not coming in an unworthy fashion. And, and as Pastor Ken said, to hear the children singing while we were praying is like... Oh Lord, unless we become like a little child, how can we enter Your kingdom? Because He's the one who said that. (laughs) Doesn't mean we're childish. We're childlike in that way. We we are humble. We are open and free. I love children's freedom. They can just do stuff that just kind of makes me smile and makes me go, Why am I not like that anymore? Or, I want to be like that. And Jesus says, I want you to be like that. I want you to be free. Well, we're going to talk about that right now as we open up the Word. As we come to this celebration at the Lord's table, we're going to talk about Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. What a, great, what a great series. What a great privilege to open up. Let's pray one more time as we open up the Scriptures. Now, Lord, it is uh, you that we focus upon throughout this worship time. And we pray throughout the days of our lives. Moment by moment, you would be constantly drawn to our attentiveness. But now as we open up your word, we pray that it is you who would alert us to what you are doing right now in this world, in this church, through this community of faith, and in each one of our lives. And this we pray as we ask it in your precious name, Lord Jesus, amen. Well, it was a Simon of Bethany who greeted the stranger at the entrance of his palatial home. The rings on his fingers glittered in the midday sun. Simon's greeting was purposefully reserved as he motioned the stranger inside. He kept his eyes diverted from the large brass basin at the door. Normally he would have called his servants to wash a guest's feet, but he wasn't sure if it was appropriate for him, a leader of much stature, to honor the stranger in that way because he really didn't know enough about that man, that stranger. The stranger carried a mediocre but growing reputation, and and Simon was actually more curious than anything. He wanted to assess the stranger, but he had to be done on his own terms. He did not want to be seen as endorsing this stranger. He certainly did not want to be giving anyone the wrong impression about he in relationship with this Stranger. Still, as they walked past that empty basin, Simon could not help but feel a little bit uncomfortable. Thankfully, the stranger didn't appear to notice anything out of the ordinary and soon they were seated together at the table, really reclined at the table. Simon surveyed the meal with a sense of satisfaction, each dish meticulously prepared and spoke again in that way of his stature in the community. It pleased him greatly and, and he wondered if the stranger kind of noticed and maybe a bit of awe being in this special place, this home of such regard. An awkward silence fell between the two men as they began eating and, and Simon started to wonder why he had invited the stranger at all, because the stranger seemed unimpressed, almost oblivious to the privilege of being in his home in this place of, of influence. Then some relief, the the awkwardness of the silence was broken by some shuffling behind him and Simon assumed it was the overzealous servant he had just hired bringing the next course that they were about to to have as they'd finished the first. Without turning to acknowledge that servant, Simon raised his hand, almost in a signal to stop him, you know, settled down, perplexed that the shuffling noise continued and Simon then turned in disbelief to see a woman who had no place in his home. Loathing, convulsed Simon as he recognized that woman because he had seen her many times at the west gate of the city producing her wares, so to speak. How did she get in? Who let her in? What is she doing here? What does she want? Before Simon could decide how to deal with the situation, the woman had slipped by the feet of the stranger. As she fell to her face, she drew out a small flask, an alabaster flask from beneath her tunic, and placing the flask beside his feet, she looked straight into the stranger's eyes. The apprehension etched upon her once beautiful face was met with compassion from the face of the stranger. And she buried her head in her hands and just wept uncontrollably. Simon immediately beckoned for a servant. This is outrageous. This is a private engagement. This is disrespectful to come into my home and to to do this without my permission. And, And he beckoned again with irritation deepening, and he, then he glanced at the guest, the stranger, how embarrassed that stranger must feel, but then he looked again, and he was puzzled. He, he didn't know how to interpret the stranger's expression. The woman loosened the stopper of the flask and began pouring the contents over the stranger's feet. Normally, her action would have appeared sensuous, but somehow it seemed more like an an act of worship. The woman reached up and unfastened her hair clasp, and, and her long black hair tumbled free, and she lowered her head and began wiping the oil and the tears from the stranger's feet with her hair. Now Simon was furious. First the woman had the gall to come into his home uninvited, and the stranger, undoubtedly must have been some kind of a a fraud because he, Simon, had found that while he was trying to entertain this stranger, the stranger seemed to be embracing this moment. Simon was still scowling when the stranger turned to him. Do you see this woman? Simon, I I came into your home and... We walked right past the base and you didn't give water for my feet. But she's been washing my feet with her tears and wiping it with her hair. You didn't didn't greet me with a kiss but she's not stopped kissing my feet since she fell to my feet. Matter of fact, you didn't even pour oil over my head which is just be expected and she's... Anointed perfume over my feet. I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she has loved much. Simon seethed with anger and embarrassment. His guest had clearly inferred that this woman was showing. To this stranger, the hospitality that he had not. And it was an outrage, an insult. He was in his own home and, and somehow the stranger was making him feel like a sinner. A little tense, I think, wouldn't you say? As we observe Jesus today, we find him caught up in in the drama that's recorded in the scripture passage read moments ago and we see him under pressure. Jesus pushed into a corner, expected to deal with the unexpected when in the middle of this highly conservative, politically sensitive dinner party, Jesus is forced to deal with a sinner. Luke seven verse 37, we're introduced to the woman who the scriptures simply identify as that, a sinner, no name given. a sinner. In this passage, there's no clear reference to the nature of her sin, but as understood in the context, and is usually shared by most biblical scholars, that she was an immoral person, a loose woman, probably a prostitute. A bit of a mess. However, it's important for us to note that in the New Testament, the word for a sinner is usually usually the word hamartano, which literally means to miss the mark. And of course, that's what it means when someone sins. They're shooting in a direction and the arrow goes off in another direction. They're supposed to go there and they are really going there. But the Greek word that's used in this particular passage is meriano, which means to extinguish or to pass away or to fade away. Therefore, as she is called a sinner, she is someone who has missed the mark morally or in some way. And as a result, she is fading away or passing away. Someone whose life is becoming extinguished, unimportant, insignificant. And she knows it. This must have been how Jesus understood her as a sinner. Because when we examine the interaction between Jesus and the sinner, we discover that Jesus, first of all, comforted the woman. Isn't that refreshing? What would it have been like if Jesus had kind of scolded her, given the the cold shoulder and just, come on. What would happen in in the history of the church? We wouldn't be the church if that had happened. But isn't it refreshing how Jesus handles her? Notice in this account what he did not do. He did not ignore the woman. Oh, just hoping she would go away. He did not interrogate her. Who are you? What do you want? What what are you doing? Uh, are you are you part of a pyramid scheme trying to sell perfume or what's going on here? You know, I mean, I don't know what he didn't interrogate her. Neither did he insist of her. You shouldn't be here right now. Don't you know this is an appropriate time or place? You can talk to me later. Instead, he acknowledged her presence. Simon, do you see this woman? And he ac- access assessed her condition. She's a sinner, Simon. And then he approved her behavior. She loved much, Simon. She loved much. Jesus simply accepted her before declaring to her, in verse 48 and again in verse 50, twice he declares to her, your sins have been forgiven, verse 48, verse 50, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Now, to our knowledge, the woman had not sinned against Jesus directly, except perhaps to embarrass him at the dinner party, so it would be safe to say that the forgiveness that he pronounced upon her applied to the sins of her entire life. Not just, okay, I forgive you for coming in here and making a mess of this moment. No, he was forgiving her her sins and, and in, in effect, proclaiming good news, The best news which could ever be heard, in particular that which needs to be heard in all of mankind, everywhere, all the time, even to this day. That the living God is in the business of forgiving people. Why are you a Christian? Because my living Jesus forgives people, including me. If we confess our sins, if we shrive, as Pastor Ken was saying, as in shrove and shrive Tuesday, if we confess our sins, if we acknowledge that we're sinners, as the woman did, he, God, is faithful to and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of most of our unrighteousnesses or all of our unrighteousnesses, to make all of our relationships right because righteousness means right relationship to cleanse us of all unrighteousnesses, all wrong relationships. First John 1 9. The first and essentially only words that Jesus spoke to the woman pertained to forgiveness. But notice carefully the precise words that he used in John 7, saying to her, he said, your sins have been forgiven. Not your sins will be forgiven once you get your life cleaned up and stop sinning. Not your sins are forgiven at this moment, but might not be forgiven later. Your sins have been and will always be forgiven. It says, in essence, the problem has been settled. Provision's been made. God has taken the initiative. Forgiveness is just available for the taking. It's got to be more complicated than that. (laughs) If it was, I wouldn't get it. And neither would any one of us. Neither would a little child, especially. And the decision is up to me and you to receive it. Our recognition, our confession of the need of that forgiveness is the key. Your faith has saved you. Your trust in God to do what you can't do is what has saved you. Go in peace. For that woman, as for all of us, Jesus' proclamation of forgiveness was a declaration of freedom. In the New Testament, there are two Greek words which the English language translates forgiveness. One is charizomai, Which refers to offering a gift of grace. The other is aphimai, which we find in this Luke account, which literally means to untie a knot forgiveness, to untie a knot, to let something go, to release, to pardon, to set free. The dynamic of relationship between Jesus and the woman was characterized by the kind of grace whereby Jesus accepted her so as to open up the confining, extinguishing box of that woman's life, that entrapped prostitute. Open up that box of her life and set her free. Untie the knots that had been formed all throughout her life. The chains that had held her down and set her free. Jesus' unfaltering agenda at the dinner party in Bethany centuries ago was to set the woman, this polluted sinner, free. And he's doing that in dinner parties and assembly lines and back alleys and school hallways and children's bedrooms and dinner tables to this day. When we examine the interaction between Jesus and the sinner, we discover that first Jesus comforted the woman. But secondly, that Jesus confronted the Pharisee. Why? Because the Pharisee was rude to Jesus? Yes. (laughs) Because the Pharisee was judgmental of the woman? Yes. Because the Pharisee was aligned to a self-righteousness, a religiosity and rigidity and unforgiveness? Yes. Yes. All of these things were true. So essentially, Jesus confronted the Pharisee because the Pharisee was a sinner. Not in the same way as the woman, not in the same consequences that the woman would have received, but with the same need that the woman had the need to be set free, the need to be forgiven. With the skill of the master teacher, Jesus both defended the woman and disturbed the Pharisee. He shared a simple story as he posed a simple question to the Pharisee, recorded in chapter 7, 41 and following. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other owed 50. And while they're both unable to repay, he graciously just forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, he asked Simon the Pharisee. Which of them will love him more? The Pharisee's answer was obvious and logical. Duh, I suppose the one who forgave more. Hmm. With his own words, the Pharisee peered through a window of truth and saw a reflection of himself looking back. The assumption of the parable was clear. The size of the debt was immaterial. Both the debtors needed forgiveness. But just to be sure the Pharisee caught it, Jesus levied the application. We read, verse 44, turning to the woman, Jesus said to Simon, you see this woman, I entered your house, you didn't give me water for my feet, she wet my feet with her tears, wiped with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, hello, she's been kissing my feet since she came in. You did not anoint my head with oil. She anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you that her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. Because who has been forgiven little loves little. Who has been forgiven much loves much. Simon, how much have you been forgiven? How much have you loved? It's important to note that Jesus actually invested way more time and energy in the Pharisee than in the prostitute. Right? As strange as it seems, the Pharisee was much more difficult to set free than the prostitute was essentially because he didn't see his sin as entrapment in his life. He didn't see it. The Pharisee looked clean, but he wasn't. The Pharisee thought he was Having his whole life act his, his act together, but he didn't. The Pharisee believed that people should take stock of their own lives, but he wouldn't have to. So out of concern for the Pharisee, in an effort to break through the facade and get to the heart of the Pharisee's life with his desire to put aside that which is politically correct, to move beyond the shallow niceties of the religious protocol, to go deeper, to essentially build a relationship of substance with the Pharisee, Jesus opted to risk his own reputation, his personal safety, an incredible opportunity to be lifted up and noticed as someone important, As he moved to try to get to the heart of the Pharisee with a surgical knife that must have cut deep. He accepted the invitation to that meal, Jesus did, so as to open up the narrow, confining, extinguishing box of that varied entrapped leader. And to reveal the sin of that Pharisee as well as the need for that Pharisee's forgiveness. He did it to set the Pharisee, this pious sinner, free. He didn't go there to try to scold the Pharisee and try to prove that he was one up on the Pharisee. He went there to help him. So this sermon should really be called Jesus and the Sinners, not Jesus and the Sinner. Because there really, in here, is the story of two sinners, two people in boxes, two people confined by their own lifestyles and belief systems, two people in the dark, unable to see themselves as they really were, two people needing a fresh start and new opportunity and needing forgiveness, two Biblical characters representing two broad categories of people in this world who need forgiveness. Those who know they need it and those who don't. As we observe Jesus in action building relationships with these two sinners, it's no coincidence that we observe his love for them side by side compelling him to treat them quite differently with one sinner, the woman, Jesus emphasized grace. Remember, Jesus is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, And, and we saw the, whole, the, the, the fullness of God, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. But with, with, the, with this woman, he, he emphasized the grace because the truth of her sin was very apparent and very accessible to her. But the grace of God, which she needed to set her free, was not as well understood by her. With the other sinner, the Pharisee, Jesus emphasized truth because the grace of God was very apparent and accessible to him. He was living high on the grace of God, but the truth of his sin is what he needed to set him free. And that's what Jesus was emphasizing for him. The goal was the same, forgiveness and freedom. The process was dependent on the person, And friends, that's why leading someone to a place where they can actually receive forgiveness, where they can actually be free, untied, released, is the task of getting into knowing someone's life well enough so as to know what it means to help them be free, to either confront them or to comfort them. It's not necessary when someone comes weeping, recognizing the depth of their sin and depravity. It's not necessary to scold them. It's necessary to hold them close, embrace them, and tell them that God loves them. It's those who are struggling to face the truth in their lives that we need to be a little more firm with. (laughs) And then tell them, in the love of God, God, man, woman, know this, that you need him. And he'll set you free. The relationship between Jesus and the sinner is always characterized by freedom. And that's precisely what it means to epitomize our relationship with God and us and our relationships with others. Freedom through forgiveness. Can you imagine anything in life more exciting than setting someone free? We all read stories about political prisoners or those who have been unjustly treated, maybe those that have been in abusive situations. And don't you just long to just go to some of those prisons in Middle East or wherever that happens to be and and take an axe and break the doors down and say get out of here you're all free don't you just say come on life is meant to be free that's gotta be one of the most exciting things. what better in this life than be bearers of good news and getting close enough to people to understand where they are at where their entrapments are where they're tied down and help them know the love of God that seeks to set them free What better than to win the trust of another and to become the voice of God in their lives to share with them all the love of God to help untangle their knots, become agents of new life in Christ, and lead someone to experience the powerful transformation that comes in Jesus? What could be better than that? How do we do it? Setting someone free always insists that we are free. It's hard to get someone out of jail when you're in there with them. <laughs> Setting someone free insists that we are free. Are you? Maybe at times you have felt or still feel like the woman, loaded with regret and guilt and fear and despair and disgrace and awkwardness. And maybe sometimes you identify with the Pharisee, snickering at others, clucking our tongues, Pushing people away because if they get too close, they will find out that I am not who I purport to be. I don't know. In either case, I'm here to say, as a bearer of good news, as a, as a, as a representative of the word of God, I'm here to say to you, you can be free because you've already been forgiven. Do you know that? All you need is to embrace that forgiveness and to thereafter embracing it, declare to anyone else who is tied down the same wonderful truth of the love of God that they can be freed too. And that brings us to the table how can that be how can I just be free how could Jesus just say to her you are free you are forgiven how did he do that because he paid the debt he settled the accounts there were two sinners one paid two dead people had debt 550 and the master set them both free That means the master absorbed the debt himself. And that's what happened at the cross. The master of the universe, who had every prerogative to zap the world with lightning and be done with it, just took on all of the debt and said, I'll take care of that. I just want you to be free. Because I love you. And anyone that embraces that master as Jesus is the one who follows Jesus. And that's the one who is welcome to partake of the bread and the cup this morning. If you say, ah, I'm just too burdened down with some struggle, some sin, some issue, I'm tied down, then just wait today With the communion table. But don't wait to be set free. Ask the Lord for it. Pray with someone if you must a pastor that's here, Pastor Ken, myself, a deacon, a friend. And just say, Would you pray that I could be free? Because I don't want to live like this anymore. And He will. Jesus said, I've come to set people free. Paul said, if, if he's set you free, you are free indeed. Don't question that. Lord Jesus, therefore, we declare, fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of the universe. We declare you are the master of all, the Lord, the King. You are God. And that's why we worship you today. And that's why we gather at this table. And as we hear you say, we are free, you are forgiven, we are loved, we are forgiven, We want to say back, Lord, we'd like to love you properly too. So help us to forgive in your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I invite the deacons to come forward and all who will serve this morning. And it's such a familiar thing, isn't it? The bread and cup. You know, I've often wondered why it is that he used these symbols of what he does. It's because he says, as often as you eat bread, drink the cup, as often as you stop to eat or drink something, remember. Remember that I love you. Remember that you are forgiven. Remember that you are set free. Remember it now at at the high moment of worship here. But remember it at lunchtime and at supper time and every whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup remember remember on the night in which Jesus was betrayed the word of god tells us that he took bread and he says this is my body broken for you do this and i'm sure he just ate it in remembrance of me. Maybe he also then just broke it and he said, do this in remembrance of me. Be a broken people, a humble people, a people knowing the truth, staying free. I'm gonna ask Deacon Rita to lead us in prayer of thanks for the bread. Oh, Jesus Christ, we are
0: so happy that you are a friend of sinners, and that you do bury our sins in the depths of the sea if we confess them and repent them. I'm so glad that you gave your life, your body, to be broken on our behalf. And Father, as we now partake in the bread, we come with hearts of gratitude and thankfulness of what you have done for us. Amen. Amen.